You are Locked On Chargers, your daily podcast on the Los Angeles Chargers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up and welcome into the Locked On Chargers podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wade, joined as always by my co-host, David Drogemeyer. And today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Congratulations to Coconut Brownie Chunk for being the Built Bar champion. And make sure to go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order. Before we get started, we are two writers who got our start covering the Chargers for San Diego Sports Domination. San Diego's top sports blog, we have done our own Facebook Live show, Chargers Domination Live, for the past six seasons covering the team. And now this is our fourth season as the host of the Locked On Chargers podcast, bringing you your team every day. All right, well, this Monday is going to be weird because obviously a staple of our Monday episodes was John Kegley coming on the show, and now obviously he's going to be gone for 10 weeks, so bear with us as we settle into our new roles. No, I'm just kidding, but definitely going to miss John and still wishing him the best of luck at basic training, but it is Mock Draft Monday, so we are very excited to be here with you guys because this is Mock Draft Monday version 8.0. And of course, because of the way I did the numbers, we're going to be talking about the seventh round picks. So that makes a lot of sense. But to wrap up the show today, we'll be getting into some seventh round prospects. I think we both picked a couple of good ones to talk about. Obviously, it gets pretty dicey on anything after like the fourth round on who's going to be there. But I think you'll like the conversations we have there. And then to start the show, the first two segments are going to be from Todd McShay's Mock to Draft 4.0, where in the first segment, we'll talk about Panay Suel falling to the 13th pick for the Chargers, not having to trade up, just falling right into their laps and, you know, the likelihood of that and also the latest rumors that he has maturity issues. And then in the second segment, we'll talk about him doubling down on offensive line with who he chose in the second round and maybe some guys we would have rather had instead and maybe the potential to trade up if they wanted to at the position that they're at. So let's go ahead and get into it. It's crazy because there are so many mock drafts out there now. I mean, it's hard to think about the times when like pretty much Todd McShay and Mel Kiper Jr. were like the two top mock draft guys around. And there's a lot of guys doing it now. And there's a lot of very capable people coming out with mock drafts. But I still thought that this specific mock draft, Todd McShay's mock draft 4.0 covering the first two rounds of the 2021 draft was worth talking about. Specifically, David, because he has the Chargers selecting Oregon offensive tackle Panay Sewell, who none of us believe is going to be at that pick. So before we get into the likelihood of whether or not he would be at that pick, what would you think if the Chargers were able to reunite Panay Sewell and Justin Herbert? It would feel like when the Chargers selected Joey Bosa and how obvious that was and how incredible that feeling was knowing that you're getting a player of of that esteemed caliber that is more than worthy of the of a pick it's like when Derwin James fell to 17 you're like this guy there's no way he should have been available outside of the top 10 and you're able to take him at 17 I think you would have a similar feeling if you're able to get Panay Sewell at 13 I mean everyone out there, all the experts, all the people talking about the draft, don't see Panay Suel leaving the top five, top ten, 
and never, ever getting the 13. So something dramatic would have to happen for Panay Sewell to be available. And something did in Todd McShay's uh, draft here with so many quarterbacks getting taken before him. But, Daniel, it would just be a miracle. I mean, it would feel absolutely incredible that the Chargers finally have a transcendent talent at the left tackle position for the first time in, what, 20 years? I mean, he just doesn't have any noticeable deficiencies. And I'd say probably about, you know, Marcus McNeil, I would say, is the last one that they had. So maybe 10, 11 years ago. But yes, the point is well taken. I mean, there hasn't been any no doubt about it options there, nor have they drafted anyone to really be that guy, right? I mean, they just haven't put the capital in it. They've filled it with short-term free agency fill-ins, you know, like Russell Okung, even before that, King Dunlap. I mean, they've tried cheaper, older options at that position. And last year, they just decided to move Sam Tevy from the right side to go to left tackle. But at the same time, this is unlikely for a lot of reasons. And this is how we get here. I mean, the third quarterback in the draft, and I think this is where it starts. And this is Mac Jones, which there's been rumors. The 49ers love Mac Jones. So the first two picks are, you know, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. Then you get Kyle Pitts at four after the 49ers end up taking Mac Jones. And this is why this makes it a little more realistic because I think if Justin Fields isn't the third quarterback taken, he probably still gets picked before the Chargers. If it's Mac Jones, maybe someone trades up ahead and gets him in the top 13 picks, but we don't know. So with the fourth pick, the Falcons take Kyle Pitts. With the fifth pick, the Bengals don't go offensive line. They end up taking Jamar Chase to reunite him with Joe Burrow. Same thing happens with Devontae Smith and Tua with the sixth pick to the Dolphins. Then Carolina trades up one spot in this one to get Trey Lance. So they get their quarterback and another guy the Chargers wouldn't have taken. The Lions, with a good left tackle situation, take Jalen Waddle. The Broncos end up taking Patrick Sertan the second, and we know they're set at the left tackle position with Garrett Bowles. And then the Cowboys end up taking J.C. Horn 10th. They could potentially take a tackle. And then the Eagles go off the wall. I mean, I thought they would probably try to go offensive weapon. They go Micah Parsons. And the 11th pick is the Patriots moving up for Justin Fields. So another quarterback, five quarterbacks getting taken ahead of where the Chargers pick, which David has to be the absolute best case scenario. And in this case, lays out at least some sort of road work to how Panay Sewell could get down to the Chargers. Crazier things have happened on draft day, Daniel. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about the draft is that things that you could never imagine, you could never predict, they happen on draft day. So this is possible. We all know that quarterbacks get taken a lot sooner than they should and people get it very aggressive when they're trying to get their quarterback of the future so a scenario a scenario like this however unlikely it may seem it is possible and if that does happen that just works out so beautifully for the chargers because yes everyone out there knows that the chargers need a left tackle but i mean if this situation arises you have your pick of the litter i mean you can take the best offensive lineman on the board. If that's Rayshon Slater, if that's Panay Sewell, oh, come on, let's be honest here. It's Panay Sewell. He is the number one guy on the board. If he is available at 13, you are skipping up to the podium, like I like to say, and you're putting in that pick and you're not taking any time. It's just an automatic thing. But it's still extremely unlikely. I mean, this scenario is beautiful to think about, Daniel, but... I don't know. I mean, what 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 are the chances of this happening? What percentage would you put this as a possibility come draft time? 
I mean, I would say maybe like 15%. Like, it's pretty low. And I just think that even if the draft played out like this, I mean, I think the Eagles would be hard-pressed not to find a trade suitor of someone who wants to trade up in front of the Chargers if Panay Sewell is still there at that point. I mean, I would be doing it if I was one of those teams for sure. And the Eagles, now they don't get, you know, one of the top wide receivers, can just keep trying to fill that kind of decimated roster that they have with more draft picks later on. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But another thing that didn't make a lot of sense to me, which totally came out of left field, is when Albert Breer was talking about Panay Sewell's pro day, and then he ended up throwing a little something extra in at the end. He said Oregon left tackle Panay Sewell checked in at just under six foot five, 331 pounds at his pro day, put up 30 reps on the bench per one scout's watch, ran a 5.11 in the 40-yard dash. I mean, I think everything kind of checks out there. Not great on the bench press, but nothing super alarming. Then comes this. There are maturity concerns with him, he puts in very nonchalantly. But his potential is unlimited, could become the best left tackle in football, which is probably why he won't be there. And it's probably why, you know, even Rayshon Slater probably won't be there when the Chargers get to select. But this just seems kind of crazy. I hadn't heard that. I haven't seen anyone else very credible bringing up this as a red flag. He is only 20 years old, so maybe that's playing into the narrative. But at the same time, you know who else had some bad narratives about you know leadership and things like that and not being able to control the locker room? Justin Herbert, right? So it's hard to take those seriously, and I'm not even joking you when I tell you that if Panay Sewell had a Laramie Tunsil bong gas mask situation. It could be the best thing that's happened to the Chargers in a, in a long time, at least since the pick of Justin Herbert. Because if that means he gets down to 13, just like Laramie Tunsil slid, sign me up to take that guy, right? So I'd be very excited if he somehow fell to 13. And I'm not concerned at all about the sudden maturity issues that seem to just be popping up. It's a no doubt about our pick. Just don't think it's going to happen. But we do have two more segments to get into in the next segment. We'll be getting into who Todd McShay took with his second round pick for the Chargers and if we would potentially try to trade up in this situation or take somebody else. So we'll get into that coming up right after this. But first, I need to tell you guys the official betting sponsor of the Locked On Chargers podcast is betonline.ag. I don't know if you guys have been seeing any of this March Madness stuff, but there's only one game left, the national championship game that you guys can get some bets in. And it's been so fun betting with betonline.ag during this tournament especially with Cinderella runs once again by, you know, Loyola Chicago or UCLA who had to lose on a buzzer beater in one of the best basketball games I've ever seen. And it had that much more juice because I had money on UCLA to win that game. I was so close there on the money line just to take that big W. But if you guys don't like betting on that, you can bet on baseball now. That just started, so I'm very excited to bet on that. NBA still going on. You have NFL Futures you can think about as well as far as who's winning the Super Bowl or what division. So many things to bet on, and the only place that we trust is betonline.ag. Just head to the website or use your mobile device today to sign up and receive a 50% welcome bonus when you use the promo code LOCKEDON. That's promo code LOCKEDON, all caps, one word for free money to bet with on your first deposit at betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. All right, well, I want to jump back into Todd McShay's NFL mock draft 4.0, getting into the first two rounds of the 2021 NFL draft. Obviously, we're off to a great start because he had Panay Sewell drop into the Chargers with the 13th pick. But who did he decide to take with the 47th pick? And it, and I like where his head's at here because even with all the offensive line additions that we've seen from the Chargers in free agency, David, he decides to add one of the best offensive linemen in the draft 
who plays on the interior, and he takes Creed Humphrey, who is a center who could potentially be moved to guard at the NFL level and you know could compete for a starting job with someone like Odea Bushi potentially, even though I don't think it would necessarily happen. What would you think you know, of someone that we talked a lot about, Creed Humphrey, even with those additions getting picked at 47? Yeah, I mean, before the Chargers went out and gave Corey Lindsley a boatload of cash, I, I mean, this was a guy I was really looking very closely at because I saw his potential. I mean, you put his tape on, and he's very aware. You know, he, he has a great command. He is a good communicator. He's, you know, very good in space. It seems like he's always looking for work. I mean, he seems like a guy who could make the transition to guard pretty seamlessly, and you're actually feeling good about the talent you have at the other positions around you. I mean, now you, you have an all-pro center, so you know he's probably not going to play center, but in case something happens, he has the versatility to swing back in there, and then, you know, you don't have you have somebody who has some talent at the center position. God forbid something happening to Corey Lindsley. But, uh, I mean, I wouldn't mind the pick. I mean, he, he's going, looking around in the second round from every mock draft that I've looked at. And he definitely would help the Chargers out. I mean, I don't know how that transition from center to guard is. It's probably not going to be too difficult, but you have talented guys around you. And I think that mix of veteran leadership and some guys that are on, on the rise, I think that could be a really good mix going forward. And I really like the part how you're, you know, doubling down on the offensive line. And now you have potentially a high quality backup at, you know, either guard or center when you come up into this next season. And I just think that when you haven't had that depth in years past and you get a value like this, because I do think it's pretty good value getting, you know, one of the, you know, maybe the best interior linemen in the draft at this pick. But I think another thing that leads to this pick here, David, is the run that you see on corners, which is why the Chargers weren't able to, you know, pick up one of the top seven corners in this mock draft. The corners taken before him were Patrick Sertan, J.C. Horn, Caleb Farley, Greg Newsom, Asante Samuel Jr., Kelvin Joseph, and Elijah Molden ends up going right before them at 46. So that's eight corners off the board by the time they get there at 47. But in this, at 39 is where Asante Samuel Jr. ends up getting picked. So I think if you it came down to this kind of situation, and especially with a few corners going right before them, I think this is where you'd probably at least think about trying to trade up and go get somebody you really like. Yeah, I definitely would entertain that. I think that the Chargers have an extra third-round pick. They have an extra sixth-round pick. They definitely have the draft capital to put a package together if they wanted to go uh, and trade up to 39 to go get Asante Samuel Jr. We know that they've met with him. They know that they like we know that they like him. So that is something that, you know, Tom Telesco has shown in his past that if he likes a player and he's sold on them, he will do what it, what is necessary to go get that player. He has traded up several times to go get guys that he is convicted to go get. So I could definitely see the Chargers going to do that. I wouldn't mind it. He's definitely a guy that I, I, I mean, I think all of us on the podcast are very excited about. I mean, he just has the it factor. He's a, a good tackler. He's good in coverage. He has that uh, NFL bloodline, the the pedigree with his dad being a longtime NFL player. I mean, he's a, a great talent, and I think it wouldn't take too much. And you, like I said, you have the ability to do it. So if, if the trade's there, I, I'd say definitely pull the trigger. So, yeah, so he ends up going 39 to the Panthers. So potentially you'd have to try to move up to maybe where the Bengals are, but – 
They're probably trying to go best tackle available since they ended up going Jamar Chase in the first round. So it might be tough, but I think at the same time when you're talking about moving up, you know, potentially 10 spots, if you can do that for a third round pick, I mean, that would be nice. It's going to be hard to know how much to cover that much real estate. If he's still there, then maybe he drops a little farther. Maybe he's taken, you know, a little sooner and you don't have a chance at him, but historically this is around the you know spot where Tom Telesco will trade up to go get somebody whether it's a Manti Teow whether it's a Jeremiah Atauchu maybe he can you know move up in the second round and pick somebody we'll all be happy about I mean last year he moves back up into the first round maybe he does that to find a corner and now in this scenario you've covered your two biggest positional needs with two really good players where you still feel like you're getting incredible value right maybe if you trade it's not as much value for Asante Samuel Jr., but if he drops, I definitely think it is. But I think the other thing here, David, is there's not a ton on there that you'd probably jump and be like, oh, like they should have taken this guy here. I mean, I think there could be more positional needs you could do, especially since you've gotten those guys in free agency. But if they were to skip on Creed Humphrey right here, who is someone that you were still that was still on the board that you would be comfortable with? Yeah, so a couple of guys that I looked at that were picked after the Chargers picked at 47 that were guys that I thought that, you know, I would like and that, that I've scouted uh, in the past was Efetu Melifonwu uh, out of Syracuse, the corner. I, th- I think him p- being picked at 54 could have been something at 47, maybe a little bit of a reach, but not too much right. of um, another one is Jabril, Cro- uh, excuse me, Jabril Cox, the linebacker uh, out of LSU. I mean, it seemed like in the mock drafts he was going somewhere in the third or fourth round. Those so guys have seemed- definitely gone up. It's like all the guys that we were like, oh, this would be a great third-round pick, and it's like none of those guys. I mean, Quinn Mainers, who we were yeah. excited about as a second-round pick now. I mean, it's crazy. All these guys were like, oh, this would be great third-round value. It's like they're all second-round picks now. Which is crazy because he was the other guy that was on my list. I mean, how could you not love Quinn Miners? I mean, just the way he goes about his business and his attitude and his personality. I think uh, he's one of those small school darlings that uh, has definitely impressed me. And I just like that attitude. I love to see that on the offensive line. But I think it's, uh, you know, Melifamu, Jabril Cox, and Quinn Miners are the only guys I think I would have entertained taking at that spot because those are guys I believe in and guys I think that could make a difference in one capacity or another. Well, and the crazy thing is, is I don't even necessarily think he's the most talented of interior offensive linemen to go at that point, right? I think that the most talented guy is probably Landon Dickerson, right? Who ends up going a little bit later to the Steelers. And if you were just talking about, you know, throwing injuries aside, that would be the guy I would go with. I mean, an absolute mauler, a guy that has shown everything in pass protection that you'd want to see, positional versatility up the wazoo. I mean, that guy is so fun to watch, and it's just so hard to feel great about his, you know, track record of injuries, which is probably the only reason he's not getting, you know, top 10, top 15 hype because of some of the tape he has out there at Florida State and also at Alabama. So that would be another guy that if you're going purely upside, if you're going the interior of the offensive line and wanting you know some depth and a guy who can start right away potentially, Landon Dickerson would be another guy I would think about for that pick. But we do have one more segment to get into because we're going to jump from the second round all the way to the seventh round in our Mock Draft Monday 8.0, getting into a couple of prospects each in the seventh round that the Chargers could potentially target coming up right after this. But first, I need to tell you guys that the best protein bar in the world is hands down Built Bar. And I can now tell you by your guys' votes 
the best built bar out there is coconut brownie chunk. It has won the built bar bracket madness. Congratulations to a flavor that has been sweeping the nation. I didn't know on Friday's show who was going to win, but that was my prediction. It ended up coming through, and I don't think it's any surprise because that is a very high-quality bar. I remember when David told me about it, and he's like, hey, like I don't even really like coconut, and this bar is delicious. So congratulations to Coconut Brownie Chunk, a deserving winner, and I know all you coconut conspiracy theorists out there that just want to bash coconut. I understand your pain, and it was a hard loss, but... Don't forget, guys, if you guys want to check out all the flavors that Built Bar has to offer, which is a lot, make sure to go to BuiltBar.com. You can save some money on any of your orders when you use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order. That's LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. All right, David. Well, now let's fast forward to the seventh round of the 2021 NFL Draft, which we can kind of conclude our going through every round and some prospects in each round. And now... We'll focus more towards bringing on some prospects onto the show. We'll go into some position groups where we'll just talk about the guys that we like on future shows in the next coming weeks as we fully ramp things up for the draft. But this is the last seventh round, you know, last round by round analysis we'll do as far as these prospects prospects go. And then, of course, you know, the week of the draft, we will come out with our own seven round mock draft. But as we've always talked about, you don't know who's going to be around in the seventh round. I mean, I went with some pretty high up there, you know, draft prospects, you know, guys in the 250s to the 300s as far as players available at that time when the Chargers may pick. But it is increasingly hard the later you get to know who's going to be there, David. So when you were looking at seventh round potential picks and obviously taking that with a grain of salt, who were the guys that you were looking at? Yeah, so I was looking at my mock draft and I was looking at positions that I had not filled up to that point or wanted to add some depth to. So a uh, position I was looking at was defensive line. I just wanted to add another body to that position. I think the Chargers are, they have some potential people there, but I think they need to add more. So uh, a guy who has a very familiar name to Charger fans out there is Lorenzo Neal Junior And yes, that is the son of former Chargers fullback Lorenzo Neal. First of all, this guy is massive. I mean, six foot three, and he's not a fullback. <laughs> 35 pounds. No, he is not a fullback. He is a defensive lineman. Uh, he's a large human. I mean, he has decent power. But the one thing that I think is a little bit uh, kind of weird to me is that 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 size and that power you expect him to have, he doesn't have that. I mean, he sh- you, you would expect him to be stronger than he is. I think he's at his best when he's splitting between guards. He doesn't really have a great bull rush because of that power, I, I said, is a little bit of an issue. Um, I like the fact that he gets his hands up. Um, you know, if he doesn't get to the quarterback or get – he stayed in the play um, when he wasn't close to the quarterback by getting his hands up and trying to block the pass, which was a good thing. He also was good at forcing fumbles. He had four forced fumbles in his career, and he also had four sacks from the interior. So, I mean, pretty decent production uh, from a, a small school in Purdue. Uh, but I mean, at this, this point, you're looking at traits and, and kind of body types that you think could help. Uh, and I think, uh, Lorenzo Neal Jr. could p- potentially help the chargers in a rotational fashion. Hey, I mean, I'll take a flyer on Lorenzo Neal's kid. I'd like that, but I'll get into mine. Now I was looking at, you know, positions that were still, still available as well and trying to be as realistic as possible about who could be there. And one guy I came upon was Cameron Bynum from Cal, who was a cornerback. 
who's about six feet tall, 200 pounds, and a guy that ended up opting out of the 2020 season, which I think is something that is pushing him down draft boards because it is a guy who is very talented. I mean, he's pretty athletic. His top end speed seemed to be pretty questionable, but he did end up running a respectable 449 at his pro day. So maybe in this time of, you know, opting out, he was able to get a little bit faster, even though we don't have any recent game film on him. And a very experienced player, somebody that Tom Telesco would probably at least consider later on in the draft, you know, just because how he feels about guys like that. And I liked his aggressiveness as a tackler. I mean, he'll shoot a gap and go for a tackle for loss. I also like how that would potentially translate to special teams play. But there's just enough questions and a lack of 2020 playing film that I think will make him drop this far. But as far as experimental projects, I think you could do a lot worse than Cameron Bynum, who had a lot of really good flashes and had a very productive career. And also, you know, just has that kind of play style that you like to see. His aggressiveness aggressiveness definitely hurt him at times and he got beat on some deep balls didn't have the best you know recovery speed i would say but it would be a nice little project in my mind david who was your other guy you looked at as far as a seventh round prospect yeah so another seventh round prospect that i like uh was linebacker tough borland out of ohio state so tough borland didn't have you know crazy impressive stats but he was a three-year captain only the second three-year captain in ohio state history he had 229 tackles 19 tackles for loss six sacks and two interceptions i mean he's a very very intelligent player i mean that's one of the common themes throughout all the scouting reports that I looked at was everybody said he's a very smart player and it showed up on on tape too I mean he definitely shows very very good recognition he seems like he is able to diagnose plays very quickly but he doesn't have a great athleticism he's not very fast he's not the best athlete in the world Um, but he is a great tackler he's a good wrap-up tackler and because he is a smart player that helps put him in good positions and I think those intangibles with that that leadership is going to help him and he's also because of the effort that he displays he's going to be a great special teams player as well so the Chargers like we've said before many times have had a really bad special teams unit so adding guys that could help on the defense and on the special teams ranks especially later on in the draft I think is going to be part of the reason why you target certain players so tough Borland with the intangibles and with you know his uh, his heart and his tenacity being able to help on special teams and the defense, I think would be a decent pick as a seventh rounder. Yeah, I think he definitely will get pushed back just because of that college football playoff performance, right? I mean, he had a little bit of a tough time there, but yeah, I mean, special teams guy, I could definitely buy into that. Maybe he turns into a little bit more, but a guy that's very decorated in a big conference in the Big Ten. But my last seventh round pick is a guy that. I haven't seen on a ton of people's radars, but I found very, very intriguing, and that's Matt Bushman, the tight end from BYU, who's 6'5", 245 pounds, and there's going to be some bad things I'm going to say before I say the good things, so just bear with it, but you didn't see him in 2020 with the rise of Zach Wilson because he ended up tearing his Achilles before the season and ended up missing the entire season, and he's also 25 years old because he does go to BYU He is a Mormon and went on a two-year mission, so got a very late start to his college career. I did like the fact that he was able to return for his pro day and run some routes for Zach Wilson, which with a torn Achilles is pretty gnarly considering when the injury happened and, and when the injury happened and he didn't end up running a 40, which I think would be one of the questions is top end speed 
Didn't think he was elite athletically in that sense. But as far as, you know, a guy to target late, he's a decent blocker. He tries very hard, and maybe there's some room to improve there. But he is a receiving tight end. I mean, some of the best hands that I've seen in this class and maybe the best contested catcher that I've seen in this class. I mean, some of the catches this guy made, you know, on balls lofted over his head, down the sideline, one-handed catches, I mean, just some crazy body control in the air, crazy concentration, big playmaker, and also going into 2020, he had forced the second most broken tackles out of anyone in college football with 15. So even with that lack of top-end speed, I would say that he is pretty good after the catch, and obviously he broke a lot of tackles with that big body. I think this is a guy that obviously you'd be trying to bet on him to come back and be able to still be somewhat athletic after that injury for a guy that really wasn't a huge athlete before that. But I really liked what I saw from him as far as that, you know, low risk, high reward pick. I don't think you're going to do much better than Matt Bushman. I know many people would probably like to see the Chargers address that position earlier on in the draft. But for a guy like this to fall to the seventh round and the value you could potentially get out of that while not really having to feel bad about it if it doesn't work out is something I that excited me a lot. And it was a guy I got excited about for someone who wasn't really on my radar and could on my radar and could potentially fall to the Chargers in the seventh round. But that is going to wrap things up for today's show. We're going to be trying to get some interviews for you guys this week with draft prospects and also college experts to come in and talk about some prospects that the Chargers could be targeting. If there's any free agency news, we'll be back here as well. And if we don't have some immediate things or an interview to talk about tomorrow, we'll do some Twitter Tuesday questions about some draft picks that you guys have. So until then, make sure to go subscribe. Make sure to go follow us on Twitter at LockedOnLAC and to like the Facebook page Locked On Chargers. Make sure to subscribe to us. Make sure to go follow the new Instagram page, which you can find at Locked On Chargers. And if you guys don't already, make sure to go follow us wherever you get your podcast from, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or the Odyssey app. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y app, which used to be radio.com. You can find us in all those places. And it's always the best way to get the daily format and the only way to make sure that you're never missing an episode. If you guys want to get your voicemails on the show, the number is 323-524-7924. If you guys want to call in about some draft picks, we'd be very likely to use those on the show and talk about some of those guys. And then as we continue to build up to this very exciting draft that we have coming upon us. But that's going to do it for today's show. We'll be back with you guys tomorrow. Until then, take it easy and go Bolts.